I'm Dennis Tubergen. You are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. Glad you decided to listen in today. It is the month of March, and if you would like to get a copy of the March 2023 special report, the topic of the March report is Social Security Tax Reduction Strategies. If you are collecting Social Security and paying tax on some of your benefits, or if you're trying to figure out the best way to collect Social Security as you approach retirement, I would encourage you to get this month's special report. To get the report, all you need to do is visit requestyourreport.com. The website, again, is requestyourreport.com. And when you go to the website and let me know where to mail that report to you, I'll be very glad to do so. I'll also get you a copy of the Revenue Sourcing Book. And very appropriately, I'll also get you a copy of the Little Black Book on Social Security Maximization, which was a bestseller when it was released a couple years ago. So to get all that information, again, go ahead and visit requestyourreport.com. The website, again, is requestyourreport.com. Now, if you've been a longtime listener to the program, you know that I have been talking about the fact that we're likely going to see a stagflationary outcome here. We're likely going to see rising consumer prices, and we'll likely see falling financial asset prices. Well, this past week, Noriel Rubini, who is a professor who has a track record of getting many of his economic calls correctly, came out in an article that was published in Market Insider and had this to say. He said, a perfect storm is brewing and markets this year are going to get hit with a recession, a debt crisis, and out-of-control inflation. Rubini said the economy this year and markets this year will be hit with a recession, a debt crisis, and out-of-control inflation. Now, Rubini was one of the first economists to call the recession in 2008, and he has been warning about a stagflationary debt crisis that is looming. And he said that Quote, I do believe that a stagflationary crisis is going to emerge this year in an interview that he did with Australia's ABC recently. So what is he predicting? He's suggesting that we will see 70s style stagflation combined with a debt crisis like we saw in 2008 at the time of the great financial crisis. Now, Rubini said that he expects the Federal Reserve will have to lift interest rates well above 6% for inflation to fall back to the 2% target. Now, I have said for a very long time that in order to get inflation under control, we have to have real positive interest rates. What does that mean? It simply means that you have to have interest rates that are higher than the real inflation rate in order to give people an incentive to save money. Paul Volcker, when he, as chair of the Federal Reserve, increased interest rates to nearly 20% back in 1980, taught us that you have to have interest rates higher than the inflation rate to get inflation under control. So Rubini is essentially stating that the Fed has a lot more to go if they're going to get inflation under control. Now, the problem, of course, is as the Fed raises interest rates, borrowing costs for the U.S. government also goes up. 
The majority of U.S. government debt is financed over a short period of time. So let's just take a look at a two-year Treasury bill. A two-year Treasury bill not long ago, about a year ago, yielded way less than a half a percent. Now that U.S. Treasury uh, bill is yielding about 4%. Well, you can't finance $32 trillion of debt at high interest rates. So there's the conundrum. There's the problem that the Fed and the government will face. Now, Rabini says if the Fed raises interest rates to the level that they will need to to get inflation under control, that we will see a recession. And part of that recession will be a stock market crash. And we'll also see an explosion in debt defaults. I have said for a very long time that you don't really need to be a trained economist to come to the conclusion that if there's too much debt to be paid, it won't all be paid. So Rubini says that a stock market crash and this explosion in debt defaults will mean that the Fed will probably throw in the towel on inflation, at least near term. And I have said that I expect the Fed will pivot as well. That will mean that prices will spiral out of control and the result will be a recession anyway, followed by more debt and inflation problems. Rubini said, quote, we're facing the perfect storm, inflation, stagflation, recession, and a potential debt crisis. Now, there are those out there that say the S&P 500 will rebound this year. I am not among them. And Rubini said that he believes the benchmark stock index could slide another 30% this year. Now, in segments two and three of today's program, I'll be chatting with Murray Gunn. Murray is the head of global research at Elliott Wave International. Uh, Murray is a uh, very bright market analyst, and I will get his forecast for markets as well. So that'll be coming up in the next couple of segments. Rubini said this, quote, referring to stocks, they will continue to go down. The market is already correcting. And Rubini is suggesting that investors protect themselves by having some inflation hedges in their portfolio. He suggested gold, inflation index bonds, and short-term bonds. He said that those asset classes are likely going to beat stocks and bonds, which will suffer. And again, I'll be chatting with Murray Gunn here in the next segment. I'll get his take on where stocks and bonds are going as well. Now, I believe that Rubini is correct in that there is more downside for stocks. If you look at stock valuations, taking a look at the Buffett indicator, which is arguably the most widely used stock market valuation metric, the Buffett indicator takes the total value of stocks and divides by economic output. Uh, by that measure, stocks are more overvalued presently than they were prior to the tech stock bubble correcting 20 years ago, if you're old enough to remember that. So more downside, I believe, is coming. And there are signs of stagflation emerging. In fact, when you look at the housing market, uh, you see that we're starting to see the real estate market slow down significantly. Wolf Richter is an analyst that tracks real estate. 
Uh, he now says that we are at the beginning of housing bus number two with housing bus number one happening back uh, starting in 2006 and going through 2009. He said that in housing bus number one, Miami, Phoenix, San Diego, and Vegas were a little bit ahead of other markets like San Francisco. This time around, San Francisco and the Silicon Valley are at the forefront leading the way along with Boise and Seattle. However, when you take a look at housing prices over the last 10 months, over the last 10 months, housing prices have declined more than they did during the first 10 months of housing bus number one. Part of that obviously is to be blamed on the fact that mortgage rates are now back up over 7%. And it was about a year ago that mortgage rates were under 3%. That's taking a lot of buyers out of the market. And most of the houses that are now selling are houses where the homeowners are cutting prices. Now, there is another potential problem looming for real estate, and uh, Richter pointed it out. I haven't been able to find it anywhere else, but I thought it was uh, very interesting and thought I would mention it to you on today's program. In 2022, the total number of housing units increased by over 1.3 million, so 1.3 million more places for families to live. Now, if we make the assumption that a housing unit is occupied by two and a half people, that means in 2022, we created housing for 3.3 million more people than we did in 2021. And of course, the population hasn't grown nearly that quickly. And if you take a look at the number of homes now that are vacant, there is the potential for a large real estate inventory to emerge on the market yet this year. So I believe we're seeing the beginnings of stagflation. If you are planning for retirement the way your parents and grandparents plan for retirement, it's my view that you're likely going to fail. That's why I'm offering you some resources for free this month. You get the March 2023 special report titled Social Security Tax Reduction Strategies. I'll also send you a copy of the Revenue Sourcing Book, which contains a planning strategy for this economy. I'll also send you a copy of the Social Security Maximization Book. To get all those resources, all you need to do is visit the website, requestyourreport.com. The website, again, is requestyourreport.com. I'll be back after these words. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me on today's program is returning guest, Mr. Murray Gunn. Many longtime listeners will recommend or will recognize, rather, Murray as the head of global research for Elliott Wave International. Uh, he is a very busy guy. So, Murray, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to, to chat with us today. It's a pleasure to be here, Dennis. Thank you. So, Murray, for our listeners that may not be familiar with 
Elliott Wave. Can you give us just a uh, an overview as to Elliott Wave and, and, and what, what its use is? Sure, so uh, Elliott Wave International is the, the largest independent technical analysis firm uh, in the world with uh, the Elliott Wave principle as our uh, core model. So the Elliott Wave principle is what we call a fractal-based model of the economy. Uh, it discovered by a man called Ralph uh, Elliott in the 1930s. And what he discovered was that human herding behavior causes markets like the stock market, which is a leading indicator of the economy, to uh, exhibit certain identifiable and repeatable patterns. And what was his big discovery was that these patterns repeat at every time scale, uh, hence the, the use of the word fractal. Uh, and so it, it enables cycles of herding behavior to be anticipated from the short term to the very long term. So, Murray, uh, when, when you take a look at what's happened worldwide since the great financial crisis and certainly since the pandemic, we have had uh, extreme monetary policy, to use that term. We have had currency creation, quantitative easing, whatever you want to call it. It means the same thing. So when you, when you have something that is taking place that is, is so out of the ordinary, like quantitative easing or currency creation, does that affect or impact the Elliott Wave model? Well, if anything, it, it enhances uh, the, the usefulness of the Elliott Wave model because uh, the extremes of uh, price uh, movement that we've been seeing over the last 10, 15 years uh, have been well suited towards price pattern recognition. And so, you know, it's interesting that since we spoke uh, last October, um, we've, when I reiterated the, the view then that, that this historic bond bear market, uh, which we've been seeing, which Elliott Wave International had uh, anticipated, it was really changing the face of the financial markets. Uh, and it continues really to do so. I was thinking about it um, the other day, Dennis, and uh, you know, a few years ago, we were telling our subscribers that uh, 2021 was setting up uh, uh, to be potentially a very significant turning point in history. And we were basing this on time cycle analysis uh, based on the Elliott Wave principle going back to the 1932 stock market low. And there was a confluence of cycles all zoning in on 2021. And so it's actually fascinating that spanning that year, um, as you mentioned, we've had uh, a once in a century pandemic, uh, a land war starting in Europe. Uh, and like I just mentioned there, one of the most dramatic bond bear markets in history. And, and this higher interest rate environment is really starting to affect everything now from stock markets to property, to corporate borrowing, and the fallout is really just only beginning. You know, Murray, when, when, you, when you look at what happened last year to, to bonds, uh, I'm sure there were many shocked investors that found that you can lose double digit on a percentage basis. You can lose, you know, on a double digit basis over the course of a year in government bonds. And, and that's a phenomenon we really hadn't seen in, in, in over 40 years. So 
Are you expecting that that will continue? And, and how bad do you think it gets for bond investors? Well, yes, we, we do. Our uh, price pattern uh, analysis uh, points to yield bond yields uh, rising uh, further, uh, and, and that will continue to, to lead central banks into continuing to sh- to, sh- to hike short-term rates. Um, you know, most people think that central banks lead the markets, but we've shown over the decades that it's actually central bank policy merely follows what the bond market prices are you know, are doing beforehand. But the bond market prices were selling off in the U.S. Treasuries, and bond yields were going up well, well before the Fed started to eventually, you know, hike uh, rates. So we certainly expect the bond markets to continue to uh, come under pressure in price terms, uh, rising yield, and in particular, um, the the corporate bond market. We think that the corporate bonds are really the next shoe to drop. What's been fascinating is the fact that uh, during the last year, corporate bonds have really sort of held in quite well. They've not underperformed as much as um, they have done historically during times of uh, recession. And I appreciate we're not in a recession just just yet, but we are heading uh, towards one. And so, um, you know, what you've got coming up is that uh, the corporate, corporate, lots of corporations during the pandemic, they took advantage of basically money at zero percent, money for nothing to 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 uh, fulfill their debt, uh, you know, obligations. Those those debt obligations now are coming due, so they'll have to roll that debt over, uh, starting from this year and, and into next year, and they'll have to reset at higher rates. So that's going to be a big shock for um, you know the, the corporate bond market. Murray, you made a comment that I I made a note of as you were talking. You said that central bank policy follows markets versus markets following central bank policy. And I think there's a lot of listeners that heard you say that that said, well, wait a minute, I thought the Fed here in the U.S. set interest rates. But you're saying that central bank policy follows markets. Can you expand on that a little bit? I found that interesting. Sure. I mean, in a way, it's 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 kind of not as um, uh, fascinating as it, as it probably sounds because if you think about it, you get the, the bond markets, uh, interest rate markets, uh, they are trading uh, every day um, of the week, uh, and so the, the the global financial markets are setting interest rates by buying and selling and, and doing nothing. If people are doing nothing in the markets, that, is, that in itself is an active decision. So, so the, the clearing price of interest rates is set every day by the bond markets themselves. And, and it's the market's responsibility, it's the market's job to look forward in time. So they generally anticipate you know, what the central bank is going to do. Um, and so bond yields will generally, especially at the short end, what we call the short end, the uh, of the of the money market uh, of the bond markets like the two year, the two year yield or or lower the one year bill rate uh, that'll probably that was starting to rise in price and historically has you know risen in sorry in yield rather than price risen in yield um, and the central bank the Fed have followed by hiking rates and 
And the opposite happens when they're, they're having an easing cycle as well. It's the, always the, the, the money markets that trade every day that they change their prices and the Fed and, and yields, and the Fed just um, follows. And, and other central banks do exactly the same. So, Murray, uh, along those lines, uh, when you take a look at the j just debt that exists on uh, the balance sheet of governments around the world, and I'm most familiar with the U.S. government, uh, you know, almost $32 trillion in debt with rising interest rates. It seems that there is this potential for a perfect storm uh, in that uh, as interest rates continue to rise, given that a lot of this debt is financed over the short term, uh, we are going to reach a point in the very near future, at least in my view, that uh, we're going to consume uh, a, a very large percentage of, of tax revenues just to service the debt. And this trajectory just from my perspective, anyway, it seems like it can't continue. So I'd like your comment on that. And how do you see this playing out? Yes, that, that, that's a, a, a very uh, good point, Dennis. Um, it's when debt really isn't a problem uh, until it becomes uh, excessive. Um, there was a, a, a very good uh, and famous Elliott Wave uh, aficionado um, called Hamilton Bolton, and he years ago did a study on uh, debt markets and found that um, actually it's when debt becomes excessive that's when uh, you have uh, debt deflation uh, coming in. Uh, and that's really what we're expecting. And, and the, the point you make is absolutely uh, fantastic that the fact that it's the, being able to service that debt as interest rates. Uh, are, are rising. That's that's the, the sort of straw that, that breaks the camel's back. And as I mentioned about the corporate bond market, they're having to reset their um, reset their bond borrowings this year and next. Uh, and a lot of them will, will will suffer because of that. I mean, commercial banks are already tightening uh, lending standards as they always have done um, before recessions hit. And um, a number of large companies, um, or sorry, the number of large companies uh, that are filing for, for bankruptcy is already at the highest level since uh, the great um, financial crisis. So we, we certainly expect the global economy to continue to slow down and enter a, a recession. And you know, given how inverted bond yield curves have been, uh, meaning that the uh, longer duration bond yields are lower than the shorter duration bond yields. Um, and the track record that that metric has in anticipating recessions, it would quite frankly be a miracle if there wasn't a recession coming in the next couple of years. Well, my guest today is Mr. Murray Gunn. Uh, he is the head of global research at Elliott Wave International. The website is ElliottWave.com, and if you go to the resources section of the website, there is a free book on Elliott Wave. I'd encourage you to check it out. Again, the website is ElliottWave.com, and there's a free book offer under the resources section, so uh, check that out. I will continue my conversation with Murray Gunn when our LA Radio returns. Stay with us.
Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. I have the pleasure of chatting today with Mr. Murray Dunn. Murray is the head of global research at Elliott Wave International. The website is ElliottWave.com. And if you visit the website and click on the resources tab, there's a free book on the Elliott Wave uh, concept that you can pick up there. Again, ElliottWave.com is the website. So, Murray, we, we talked about in the last segment, uh, your forecast is that we're going to see uh, interest rates higher moving ahead. We're going to see uh, a global recession. Uh, give me your assessment of stocks uh, worldwide and then, uh, you know, to the extent you're comfortable, uh, the, some of the U.S. stock indices. Sure. Well, uh, the, the, the uh, worldwide index or that we look at is um, – uh, an ETF, so the ticker of uh, VT, uh, it's, the, it's the Vanguard uh, Total World Stock Index. That's what we look at to first and foremost to, to, to decide uh, or look at what's happening with the global stock market. And um, what's really interesting by looking at that, the, the technical analysis on that um, chart at the moment, is that the, the rally since October, not just in uh, Elliott Wave terms and the price pattern, looks like it's been um, what we call corrective. In other words, we've had the, the, the first uh, decline and then this advance that we've had since uh, October um, has been a corrective, what we call a, a corrective fee wave uh, pattern. Uh, but really interestingly, um, and increasing the probability that we're going to see another decline coming, is that the rally since October in that particular um, ETF has not been confirmed at all uh, by volume. So what you want to see, if it's a healthy uh, advance in, in, in price, you want to see volume expanding uh, on that movement. And that has actually done the opposite. Volume has contracted uh, as this um, rally in price has taken place. So that for us is a really, really good clue that um, the rally's been correct and we're going to see another decline. Uh, and that analysis stands with some of the US uh, stock uh, indices uh, as well. There's certainly the um, S&P 500, the NASDAQ, the rally uh, since then, have, the rally since October have been uh, very corrective in terms of our, our model. So do you have an ultimate forecast for, say, the Dow or the S&P 500, Murray? Well, we don't really engage in, in putting just direct numbers on on, on uh, a forecast for, say, six months or one year. What what we try to do, because the, the markets uh, change, you know, every day, we, we uh, try and gauge the direction. And um, given the extent or given the given the where we are in the uh, Elliott wave cycle as we call it uh, where we're likely to actually go uh, eventually with that uh, that movement so certainly with regards to the US stock market we, we, we think this is uh, at least uh, what we call a cycle degree turn um, and, and that means that we will probably be declining uh, at least another 40, 50 percent over the next uh, you know year or so uh, from here. So you're expecting a lot more downside in stocks. 
Yes, we are. Uh, and there's, there's, there's various signs that uh, we're looking at that's um, giving us confidence with that. I mean, one indicator that's been a, a good uh, lead indicator of uh, tops in the stock market, US stock market, has been when uh, foreign investors have started piling into the US stock market. And the data shows now that, uh, once again, uh, foreign investors have been uh, really sort of rushing into the US stock market. Um, also, we've got um, share buybacks. Uh, they're back at record levels uh, as well. And that's been, over, the, over history, that's been consistent. Uh, when share buybacks have been uh, in, in vogue, that's been consistent with, with tops in, in the stock market. So we're expecting uh, another turn there. And um, the other thing we're looking at, Dennis, interestingly, which has been in a bit of an explosion recently, I mean, we've had a lot of the flameouts of the speculative activity like um, SPACs. They've, they've, they've obviously, uh, you know, gone down a lot in price uh, since they had their, their bubble. But the, the latest bubble, um, and, and this has been consistent with this rally since October, uh, this bubble that's come back is in uh, what are called zero days to expiry options, uh, meaning that uh, there are options that have basically they expire today. And, and that the trading in those instruments has exploded. And for us, that's, that's a sign that uh, speculation is, is once again rife, again, consistent with a top in the stock market. Um, and it also increases the, the chance because the market makers involved with these options, they have to hedge um, the risk that they, they, they have. It increases the chance of a volatility accident uh, happening. So we're watching the VIX uh, very closely at the moment. Murray, I want to shift gears, if we could, please, in the time we have left. We've got about five and a half minutes left. Um, you mentioned that, uh, you know, Elliott Wave is really uh, based in the fact that there are repeatable patterns in the market and there are repeatable patterns because human behavior is predictable. And along those lines, um, you know, Elliott Wave and, and uh, I believe uh, Robert Prechter, the founder of uh, Elliott Wave, uh, also founded something called the Socionomics Institute. And whenever you're on, I always like to, just for our, our listeners that maybe aren't familiar with that science, uh, just to discuss it. So could you just briefly give the listeners an overview of socionomics? Of course. Uh, so, yes, Robert Prechter's socionomic uh, theory uh, stems from evidence that it's the trend in what we call social mood that determines social actions, not the other way around, as most people think. So. Uh, most people would think that if something negative happens, uh, then the mood of society then turns negative. But uh, our socioeconomic studies suggest that the, it's the negative mood trend which comes first before the negative action, uh, and of course vice versa for, for positive actions. So, for example, you know, conventional thought would be that um, angry people uh, sort of War, sorry, the conventional thought would be that, that wars make people angry, uh, whereas the socioeconomic uh, way of looking at it would be that angry people make wars. And on that, on that same uh, line, 
the conventional thought would be that recessions cause uh, business people to be cautious, whereas the socioeconomic thought would be, uh, or the causality, would be that it's cautious business people who cause recessions. So we kind of flip conventional thinking uh, on its head. And because social mood is a driver of everything in our model, it tends to show up first in the stock market. And so it's the trends in stock markets that can anticipate social actions. Uh, and also social actions can help us anticipate where we are in the stock market cycle. So for instance, um, like I mentioned, wars and conflict and violence there, they generally happen after a period of negative social mood. Um, and so that means that they generally happen after the stock market has declined. So, Murray, given, uh, you know, everything going on in the world, there's, uh, there, there's wars, there is uh, talk of a recession, there's uh, rising interest rates. Um, what would your study of socioeconomics suggest lies ahead from a social action perspective? Well, I mean, there's, a, there's a couple of things uh, we're looking at at the, at the moment, uh, Dennis. I mean, uh, consistent with um, the tops in, in the stock market that I was just uh, talking about there. We, we recently, I think it was last week, we had these um, the new ETFs launched, uh, the Jim Cramer uh, ETFs, uh, obviously <laughs> the famous CNBC Mad Money uh, presenter. And that, for us, uh, is, a, is a socioeconomic indicator of what we call equity culture. Um, so everyone's obsessed by equities. Everyone, you know, the, 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 the zeitgeist is that people are, um, you know, Jim Cramer and uh, equities are, are, are really, really popular at the moment. And compare that with where, for instance, the famous Business Week article from 1979 at the end of a bear market. Uh, where their headline was the death of equities, because nobody was interested in equities at all at that time. And of course, that was the time to buy equities. So the, the, the thing is now with these little indicators like this, socioeconomic indicators, it uh, is another piece of evidence which suggests that it's the top of the stock market. Uh, another thing that we're looking at is uh, more of an international perspective on that same note is that social mood, when social mood is positive, it tends to you tend to have uh, agreements, uh, you tend to have politics going to the centre. So it's interesting that, um, you know, we've had this bounce in the stock markets from October. And uh, last week we had the uh, European Union and the United Kingdom coming together, agreeing on a way forward for um, the, the, the Northern Ireland issue, which had been stuck since uh, Brexit. Also, you have uh, Brazil and Argentina seemingly to wanting to propose uh, a currency union. And so once you get these, um, these sort of international agreements uh, uh, and kind of peace, uh, then it's generally a sign of a top. I mean, the, the great example of this was at the end of the 1990s when there was lots of peace agreements taking place uh, then and we had the launch of the euro and, and things like that. And on a more... On a more um, a lighter note, perhaps, uh, but it's still very socioeconomically uh, relevant, 
is the fact that there is a genuine relationship between uh, hemlines in women's fashion and the stock market. So uh, history would suggest that you know as uh, the stock market is going up, then hemlines get shorter. And as the stock market is going down, then hemlines would get longer. So it's interesting for us socioeconomically at the moment uh, that the current trend seems to be for long, uh, long hemlines. Well, that is a perfect place to end it. My guest today has been Mr. Murray Gunn. He is the head of global research at Elliott Wave International. I'd encourage you to visit uh, socionomics.net to learn more about socionomics. And to learn more about Elliott Wave, visit ElliottWave.com. And on the resources link, uh, you can click there, and there's a free book offer uh, that Murray is making available. Uh, Murray, always a pleasure to catch up with you. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule to chat with us today. And love to have you back down the road. Many thanks, Dennis. It's been a pleasure. We will return after these words. I'm Dennis Kubergen. This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. Glad you're listening in today. And thanks again to my special guest today, Mr. Murray Gunn, for joining me on today's program. If you're just tuning in, I'm offering the March 2023 special report along with some bonus information. The March 2023 special report is titled Social Security Tax Reduction Strategies. When you go to requestyourreport.com, I'll be very glad to send you a copy of that report, along with a copy of the revenue sourcing book that contains retirement planning strategies for the current economy. I'll also send you a copy of the little black book on social security maximization. Again, I'll get you all that information free and without any further obligation by visiting requestyourreport.com. Just let me know where to mail that information, and I will be very glad to do so. You know, I was talking a bit about the level of government debt that exists in the first segment. And many of you are probably familiar with the fact that uh, we have now a limit. We, we have reached the debt ceiling. So now there is or will be negotiations going on between Democrats and Republicans to try to raise the debt ceiling. And in the past, these negotiations have been, uh, they've taken place, but everybody knows that eventually the debt ceiling will be raised. That's likely going to happen again. But I thought it might be helpful in this segment to talk about the debt ceiling. What actually is the debt ceiling and how might it affect you? Well, the debt ceiling is simply the limit of debt that the U.S. Treasury is allowed to issue. It's no secret that the U.S. government operates at a deficit. They spend more than they take in in taxes, a lot more. The difference, the deficit, the shortfall is covered by borrowing the money, and they do that by issuing bonds. So when once we are at the debt ceiling, which we are now, it doesn't mean that the U.S. Treasury cannot issue debt, it can issue debt to the extent that 
other debt is maturing. So for example, if there's $30 billion of debt maturing this week, it has to be paid off. The treasury can issue another 30 billion of new debt just to keep the amount constant. But they can't issue 40 billion because that will break the ceiling. And right now, the US treasury is at the ceiling, but the US has not balanced its budget. The US is still running deficits. So the question is, how are these deficits being financed if the treasury can only roll over debt that is maturing? Well, the answer is that the treasury is now resorting to what is known or what are known as extraordinary measures. So extraordinary measures will basically be borrowing Peter to pay Paul. There's, there's been a lot of discussion about it, but, but what we really want to focus on is, will there be a time before the new fiscal year, which starts October 1, that we hit this X date? What's the X date? Well, the X date is the date that the Treasury runs out of cash and can't pay off, can't pay bills or can't pay off bondholders. Now, there are a lot of estimates out there right now. In fact, Jim Rickards wrote a piece this past week that estimated that the X date would be about June 5. That'll be the day that the, the Treasury runs out of cash and can't pay its bills. Now, that's obviously just a guess. Now, the actual X date will depend upon how much cash flow does the Treasury generate during mid-April. That's when taxes are due. That's when uh, those of us that maybe pay in with our tax return write a check. Uh, and as this day approaches, you're going to predictably see a lot of Democrats saying, we're going to default on the debt, Social Security payments won't go out, benefits are going to be cut. And some Republicans will say we're going to have higher interest rates, runaway deficits, that uh, we're going to lose confidence in the dollar, they're going to create more currency. But the bottom line is this will all likely create higher interest rates. It will likely create more volatility in stocks. But the bottom line is this. The U.S. government has debt to economic output of about 125%, which is the highest level in history. Now, several years ago, I wrote a book, I write, read a book rather, titled This Time is Different. It's written by Ken Roghoff and Carmen Reinhardt. Uh, they did a study of 800 years of monetary history and found that once a country reached debt to GDP, debt to economic output of 90% or more, there was always a default. That default may not have occurred right away, but 100% of the time, these countries defaulted. Let, let me remind you again that the U.S. has debt to GDP of 125%. So Rickard says this puts the U.S. deep in the red zone, and we're going deeper. We have trillion-dollar deficits. There's more spending on the way, and we're headed for a sovereign debt crisis. History teaches us that there's more debt than can possibly be paid. That's why I believe we will have inflation followed by deflation. This is what Thomas Jefferson told us would happen if we allowed private bankers to control the issue of our currency. And it is also why I'm offering resources to all the listeners of RLA Radio. If you'd like to get the 
special report for March. I'll send you the report titled Social Security Tax Reduction Strategies. I'll also send you a copy of the Revenue Sourcing Book, which contains a retirement planning strategy for the current economy. I'll also send you a copy of the Little Black Book on Social Security Maximization. To get all those resources, all you need to do is visit the website, requestyourreport.com. The website is requestyourreport.com. I'd also encourage you to visit retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. On that website, you can get the podcast download. You can get this program if you'd like to listen to it again or you happen to, 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 to miss it when it airs on traditional radio. Uh, there's also uh, the headline roundup newscast that is archived there. Again, that's retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. That's all the time I have for this week. Hope you got something you can use. I'll be back again next week.